Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Observe Tech podcast. Observe Tech. Oh, my gosh, I haven't said that in like forever. I'm leaving that there because I recorded the Observe Tech podcast for 317 episodes for over 10 years, and it's been a long time since that slipped out of my mouth. Oh, my goodness, that's something else. Let me do this again. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 16th episode of Faith, Tech, and Space. I'm your host, Rich Hay from WindowsObserver.com. Uh, good to be with you, uh, even though I kind of kicked it off wrong, but that was a nice little run down memory lane. Um, back for episode 16. It is a Monday evening right now. It's just after 7.15 p.m. on the east coast of the United States here in northeast Florida. And I'm re- it's uh, actually the tail end of Labor Day, so it's been a, a holiday today. And uh, I totally intended to get the podcast recorded over the weekend and had all the notes ready and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't happen. Here I am recording now. So let's start off and talk a little bit about some numbers, shall we? As you all know, uh, about three weeks ago, Microsoft launched their very um, uh, much-weighted Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020. Uh, the franchise has been around for 38 years. Uh, FS10, I last I I regularly flew Flight Simulator 10 in 2007 on deployment. I had it on my laptop. I had a joystick, and for after hours kind of entertainment, something to do on the ship underway, I would fly around to. I was flying around to the football stadiums. I think is what I was doing at that time, but doing different things like that. Well. Let me tell you, Flight Simulator 2020 is a whole nother ball of wax. Um, some of the numbers they have shared about the um, about the new game, and so they already in two weeks since they launched it. This this post came out about four days ago. So in the two weeks since they launched it, more than one million unique players have gone into Microsoft Flight Simulator and taken off. Now, don't forget, Flight Simulator Standard is available as part of Microsoft Game Pass. So that's an excellent deal. This is a $60 piece of software that's part of your normal $9.99 a month Game Pass. It gives you access to a bunch of other games as well. Uh, 26 million flights in that two-week period. More than 1 billion miles flown. So that's they, they, they equivalent that to flying around the world over 40,000 times. Um, and so pretty, pretty crazy numbers there. So 1.2 million miles flown, 6.6 million hours watched on Twitch uh, of people flying around in Microsoft Flight Simulator. And they've also got the, the most popular airplanes. The top one is the, the Dayer TBM 930, which is a prop job. Um, the Cessna Citation CJ4 Jet, and of course the Airbus A320neo is the those are the top three airplanes. Most popular airport is JFK. Uh, the longest flight someone has done in Flight Simulator is 10.4 hours. They flew 7,600 kilometers. I'm not quite sure how they did that. And the most popular destination in the game is your house. Go check your house out. It's kind of neat. I even posted pictures last week. It was a horrible picture, but I, I I landed my Cessna on the main road near my house, and I drove into my neighborhood with the Cessna to see my house. It didn't look great because it's not meant to be seen from ground zero, but from the air, it, it has shape and dimension, but it was still fun to do. So they've really done well, and, and I went again today to Microsoft's website, and they continue to be completely sold out of controllers, of yokes, of pedals, of joysticks, of any kind of controller. Uh, even a couple of their Xbox controllers that would be used with this program. Uh, and on Amazon, they're all sold out there as well. There's a there's a roaring third-party market right now, and it's way overpriced, so you don't need to go do that. Know that you can fly keyboard and mouse solo. 
that is very possible, so it's easy enough to do. Um, and I, I, I don't have the link on me right now, but I did find a, a link to a website that had a terrific uh, guide printed out. Let me, I've got it right here, so let me see where this came from. Uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 keyboard shortcuts came from a site called Cheatography, C-H-E-A-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y. Uh, and then the user posted it there and it's kind of neat because it gives a, all the shortcuts on the keyboard for how to fly and do things with the airplane so I, I highly recommend if you haven't tried it you're on Game Pass go try it out be part of the big numbers there it's a lot of fun and then I want to mention um, earlier today because it was an off day I did some errands and um, I, I stopped by my local AT&T store and I went in and saw the Surface Duo um, I guess you can call it a hands-on I was probably wasn't even there 10 minutes um, but I tell you what surprised me about the device. Two big things surprised me as I walked up and looked at the device. One is how thin it is, how thin each half of the duo is, right? Each side, each screen. Amazingly thin. The hinge and that whole function is, it just looks beautiful. It looks smooth. It operates very smoothly to, to fold out into fully open mode or to close. Um, but the thinness of that device just took me by surprise. I really was not expecting it to be that thin on each side. And then the other thing was it was very responsive. Now, there's been a lot of discussion around this device and it being last year's chip and some things like that, but it was very responsive. Um, the store personnel still need to learn more about the phone. They were unaware that there was a fingerprint reader on the right-hand side. They were unaware of the, the way you grab the bottom of the, the app and pull it up and drag it to the middle to expand to both screens and things like that. They, their cool feature that they pointed out to me right away was the texting with the device turned sideways. So you had one screen on the bottom that was the keyboard and the screen on the top, which was the screen showing you the text. So it's, you know, you're able to do that and have them kind of both there, laptop-ish kind of thing. So it was cool though. Like I said, blown away, and I shared a picture on Twitter, I, I was blown away by how thin this device is. Pretty amazing amazing what they've done with that and what they've gotten in there and in the thinness of each side and then like I said the hinge just worked beautifully so um, I'm looking forward to seeing the the reviewers now the the embargo I believe lifts on availability day which is the 10th of September that's a few days from now and so I suspect we will see the full hands-on reviews from the reviewers that have had the devices for a couple weeks uh, around that time so we'll be watching for those in next week's episode we will make sure to collect a bunch of those links and put them into the show notes so that we have them all. And we'll talk about it. We'll talk about what the general consensus and view of the device is. Okay, moving on into the faith type stuff. Uh, we are in the final, we kind of over the last few episodes been talking about the fact that I'd been on hiatus. We'd had a summer break and uh, we're getting ramped back up to start back up this week. In fact, this weekend we have our first local class and our online class uh, begins on Monday. In fact, today we received the full syllabus to our online class, so I spent the afternoon preparing all my kind of copies, and I download things and documents and references and reading lists and things of that nature to help me create a, a, a setup so that I can easily move from week to week, and I know what's due each week for the class. So the, the local class we're going to have this Saturday is Social Justice. It's our second one. We had one at the beginning of last year as well. And then the online class is Fundamental Theology. And it looks like it's going to be a very engaged class. Like every week there's a discussion forum question. And then every other week on the even weeks we have, a, we have an assignment due. So it's anywhere between 300 to 500 words in answering a couple questions. And many of the questions are formulated to the effect that, hey, you're teaching RCI. 
RCIA, which it stands for the Right of Christian Initiation of Adults. That is the program where we take folk Christians and people who want to enter the Catholic Church, and we help educate them and move them along a path towards receiving the sacraments of initiation. So um, got all that sorted out. Pretty, looking pretty solid. It's going to be a very engaged class, and that's it's supposed to be. We're going to learn, and we're going to learn a lot of different stuff about fundamental theology in the church and about faith and reason and a lot of stuff that came out in our first philosophy class but was more philosophy-focused. Now that's going to focus more into Catholic, Catholic church doctrine and things like that. So I'm looking forward to that. That should be good. And, and it, you know what? It's amazing that we're now entering our second year. And here within two weeks, we have our right of candidacy mass. And I shared on Twitter today that I bought uh, a few weeks ago, I purchased my first alb, my first vestment. An alb is a white uh, vestment that, that is runs from um, above. You put it on over your shoulders, and it is almost floor length to the top of your shoes. It has long sleeves that are kind of opened, and, and billowing is not quite the right word. And then um, you, you cinch it around at your waist with what's called a, um, oh my goodness, I'm going to draw a blank on the name of this, a cincture. A cincture. So that's a. It's a. Diff, there are different shapes to that. But I have a white cincture that my deacon mentor bought me that day that we got the the vestment, and um, you tie that around your waist, and it kind of helps you. Um, it, it helps with the, the way the vestment's worn. And today we had some labels made uh, by a friend of ours from church. And the label, one of the labels says first vestment. And so this vestment is my first vestment, my first official vestment. And so we've put that label, my wife sewed that in there. as She said uh, each stitch was a prayer. And she sewed that label into this alb. I have some friends in Minnesota that used to live down here that through church. And they have sent me another alb. And once it gets here, we're going to have, I've had a label made with their name on it. And that will go inside of that alb. And it's just a reminder on where these things came from and who they were, who they were from. And it gives me an opportunity to say a prayer at that moment for that individual. So uh, it's just a nice little reminder about um, where, where the uh, vestments came from. So two other things I want to mention of the faith, um, uh, the faith category is first the movie, the Fatima movie that's based on the true story of Fatima. Um, Fatima are three shepherd children who had a, um, they had a Marian vision and a Marian apparition over the period of six months. Uh, and Our Lady of the Rosary uh, or asked them to pray for peace in the world and pray the rosary every day. And it's a, my wife and I watched it last weekend, and it's a really well done movie. So if you're if you're interested in learning about that, I've got a link here to the um, movie and to a Father Edward Looney, um, who has written his own book about uh, Mary and uh, the rosary and things like that. And he talks about Fatima and the, the existence of the movie and why it's important. And then the other thing that I wanted to link to is a really good read here. Uh, from my perspective, by a guy named Greg Erlinson. He wrote for a forum called Echoes, and it's labeled as a forum of Catholic thought, but he writes about disagreeing less disagreeably. And and if you watch in, on social media and stuff like that, you see that, that disagreements just go completely kind of out of bonkers uh, these days. It goes to severe, severe extremes disagreements do, and it, it doesn't need to be that way. And so he writes um, about that in response to a letter to the editor and he writes about that we need to disagree less disagreeably. So it's a really good read. It's not a long read, but it's a really good read about that. 
Okay, jumping into the tech stuff, Windows Insiders, where do we stand right now? Um, we have the latest Insider Developer Channel build is build 20206. That came out on September 2nd last week. Um, what's new in there? A new, the emoji picker has had a bit of an overhaul. Um, they've had, you know, we've had the emoji thing in there. That's the Windows key in the period brings up the emoji picker. Now it's getting a new interface and a much cleaner interface. So it's really nice. Um, updated design, better emoji search, animated GIF support, including search for those. Um, converging that input across the emoji and clipboard history. So WinV, if you use the WinV brings up the clipboard, Windows clipboard, you will see your emojis that are copied in there as well. Um, so we got that improved voice typing. So more work going on on voice typing and dictation and things like that with the touch keyboard. So some some steady improvements there. This is now developer channel is we believe will be for 21H1 is eventually it's going to branch out of there sometime this fall it should and then start developing down its own track. In the release, we don't have anything in beta this past week because the week before we got 19042.487. It was a cumulative update for 20H2. A ton of fixes in that. A ton of fixes. Um, and then this week we did get that same update, but a little bit extra to the release preview channel to give us build 19041.488. So just past where beta is right now on .487. Again, very similar. Lots of fixes. In fact, it's mostly the same fixes that were put out in beta the week before, but this is the preview for Patch Tuesday, which is tomorrow, tomorrow, 8 September. So if you're listening to this, it's going to be, that update will be available to everyone on Windows 10 version 2004, 2004, sorry, 2004, as of update, uh, Patch Tuesday tomorrow on Windows Update. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so that's where we stand with the Insider Channels. We got updates in dev and release preview last week. Uh, I do still have my trackers over at Windows uh, at IT Pro Today that I build. So I've got a dev tracker, beta, and a release preview tracker. So if you're looking for a way to kind of keep up with the builds that are coming out, you can go to those, bookmark them, and get updates to those when I, because each time a build is released, I update those with information about that build with a link to the release notes and all that. Um, other Windows stuff going on, Ed Bot over at ZDNet, as he always does, seven Windows 10 annoyances and how to fix them. Uh, the, the annoyances he gives ideas about and feedback about are disruptive updates or unexpected reboots. Honestly, I don't experience, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't experience those things. I don't get pushed, I'm on my computer a lot. I don't get pushed out of my computer for updates and other things like that. So a little weird. Uh, Candy Crush Farmville and other unwanted apps, how to deal with those. How to, uh, the other, to build, the other built-in Windows 10 apps and how to deal with those the generic default start experience and how to deal with that, programs that start automatically, the Cortana button on the taskbar, the weird folder name for your user profile. He even gives instructions on how to update that and change that and customize it. Um, and that's the seven that he has information on in his story this week. So if any of those are bugging you, you can go check out Ed and get updates on how to sort those things. I might do the user thing. I don't know, but it works. Right now, it uses the first five letters of your first name so, or your username that you put in. So for Richard, it uses R-I-C-H-A. It works for me. It works. Uh, Microsoft Connect app has become optional in the May 2020 update. So the Windows 10 version 2004 update, the Connect app, which is used to connect your computer to wireless displays, has now become optional 
on the uh, on Windows 10 version 2004. So you have to download it. It's not installed by default. So you have to download it separately if you want. And you'll get prompted in the in the experience of trying to connect. If it feels like it's there, it will give you a prompt to go download that app, and that way you have connect. Windows 10 features that are deprecated. So the reason why we knew about this change to the Connect app is because the master list of, um, of deprecated features in Windows 10, that's a running list, right? So it tells you what version and where those things came out. Deprecated and is, uh, means it's not being supported anymore. And then you have the removed part. So you know what's been removed and you know what we're no longer developing and it's all part of the Windows 10 life cycle. So I've got a link to that in the show notes. It's handy to keep up with. Uh, what else have we got here using Microsoft's Project Mocha? Now this is one I did for IT Pro today. Project Mocha, also known as Spaces or Outlook Spaces, is a project management tool. It's not really multi-user, so, but you can track a team's activity. You can track contents. You can track all kinds of, and it's very customizable. The, the, the canvas that you can put things on, you can put just about anything on there. They're called buckets. Those are like folders. You can have notes, files, links, tasks, goals, weather, and a couple other options there. Uh, one, uh, I think, is location, and the other is like weather. Uh, oh, I said weather. So it's it's a handy uh, feature, and it's just rolling out in preview. Not everybody has it yet. And if you're in a if you're in a tenant that's managed by an Office or Microsoft 365 admin, they've got to turn it on for you. So you have to go ask for it. There's a PowerShell command to make that available. All right. So again, it it really is focused on an individual's management. Uh, but it does interface to to-do and task list and Outlook and things like that. And there is a connection between Outlook and it because you can capture things from Outlook like an email or, a pro- or an event and put them into your Project Mocha uh, workspace. Uh, the other one I did was the transcribe feature in Word. I This came out a couple weeks ago as a new feature, and I, I did a, I'm doing more of these hands-on with new features in Microsoft products and other products because it's a great way to kind of share the news that a feature's coming and how it works. So I did the new transcribe thing, and I'd already prepared a script several months ago for another project that kind of went back burner. And I just extracted over about 1,600 words, or maybe it was just a little more than 1,000, from different stories, paragraph by paragraph, just random stuff. And I created a script that was about eight minutes long. I read that into my system that I do podcasting on, and I recorded it, and I used that to do the translation. Now, comparing the two documents side by side, you get 178 differences between the two documents. Now, it's a bit of an unfair thing because most of that is punctuation or words that were misunderstood or, or something like that. So the ver- it, for someone who's using this transcribe feature, either live to record something and transcribe it or to upload recorded audio, so you get 300 minutes a month on this for, for, for at no extra cost, an unlimited live recording and transcription. So if you were doing it that way and you didn't have a comparison document, you'd probably have a little bit of work to do to go through and clean things up. But it was really, really good because like I said, the vast majority of the 178 errors I saw were due to formatting and periods and punctuation and things like that. So definitely something to check out if you're on Office or Microsoft 365. Oh, that's, that's through Word on the web, by the way. That's where that's available at. And Project Mocha is available on Outlook for the web. So those two are both web-based uh, features that are available and rolling out. Uh, on the Edge Insider side of the world, Edge Canary is currently setting in version 87. This is a move up. 
It's a build 630.0. That moved up out of version 86 last week. Edge Dev is still in version 86. It's 622.3. That was a bump up from 615.3. Edge Beta is now Edge Beta and Edge Stable are both on version 85. And they're on build 564.44. Very minor update from .41 for beta. And then Stable just got the 564.44 build. So it will be another six weeks or so before we see updates in the Stable build. But Stable, Stable, because of that release, has picked up quite a few features. So I've got links in here to the dev channel update. Because Edge Stable has gone to version 85, there is now a new security baseline for version 85. That's available on the Microsoft Tech community. Uh, and then a couple of things that are coming up around Edge is first, they're testing a web capture feature in Edge Canary. I actually have this button in my in my Edge Canary build. And what it is, is basically for doing screenshots of web pages. Uh, there, there was a feature before with Snip and Sketch or something like that, I think it was called. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Uh, very similar to that, and eventually you're going to be able to annotate and things like that with it. So that, it's handy. It's it's not a whole lot different than doing a you know Windows key Shift S and grabbing a screenshot that way, but it's built into the browser for grabbing browser pages. And I've got to test it some more because it may even have the capability to scroll and capture more. I'm not sure about that though. Uh, the other update we got from Edge, folks, is the Adobe Flash Player end of support continues to come down the road this this winter, this December. Uh, that will fall to the wayside for uh, Edge, New Edge, and Legacy Edge. And there are some caveats there depending on if you're an enterprise customer or something like that. And then on the Surface Duo blog, they, they wrote about building and testing dual screen web apps for Surface Duo. And I told you today I saw Surface Duo, physically saw it. And it's built for that dual screen kind of functionality. The, the demo, the one example the person gave me in the store was doing text. Of course, the Photos app we've seen, Outlook, calendaring, all that kind of stuff is built for dual screens. So if you're building web apps, you probably want to start to look at that maybe if, as an interest level to get started with that kind of feature for your own app. All right, Microsoft News stuff. They announced and formally opened the registration for Microsoft Ignite 2020. That is coming up on September 22nd, 23rd, 24th. That is um, three weeks from tomorrow. I think if I have my days right, that's the 8th, the 15th, the 22nd. Yeah, so uh, two weeks from tomorrow, Microsoft Ignite 2020 begins. You can go register right now, no cost to anybody. That's going to be the main way for you to be able to set up a schedule, see everything, organize yourself for the 48 hours for the event. So that is coming and it's coming fast. Uh, The Pentagon reaffirmed that Microsoft is the winner of their $10 billion Jedi cloud contract. Amazon is still pending, is still going to appeal. In fact, they wrote a very uh, interesting blog post about the results of this Pentagon study and the fact that it's going to stick with Microsoft. So there is much, much more going on around that contract. It's a big contract. There's going to be a lot of discussion. TeamViewer, TeamViewer, and you know, TeamViewer is great for remote support. TeamViewer has now announced an integration with Microsoft Teams. So Teams, as it continues to become that portal to everything you do in the enterprise, um, with TeamViewer in there, that means now IT staff can more easily connect with users and provide remote assistance and troubleshooting and things like that. Um, Force firmware code to be measured and attested by Secure Launch on Windows 10. There's a post here from Microsoft Security Blog that talks about implementing that feature if that's something you want to do on your uh, devices for your enterprise. Uh, Power Toys for Windows is getting a new video conference mute tool with an 
latest update. I think that's going to be update.22. Right now we're on, uh, I don't have it on this device that I'm recording on, but we're kind of at like 21.1 or something like that, 0.21.1. So that's going to be, it's, I mean, in this day and age, everybody's video conferencing in some shape or form. So it's going to be a new mute tool to kind of mute that stuff um, more handily than trying to find the spot in the app itself. The Windows 10 Your Phone app has gotten some new notification options for insiders, so it now has a choice. You can see the full notification, including who it's from and the content of that notification. The other one is you can see a slimmed down version of that where you don't see the details, you just see the um, who it's from. And then there's the option to be able to see just kind of like an, a one-liner, hey, you got a notice from this app. And it's completely controllable, although you have to pick one of the three for the, it's kind of global. You cannot pick one of the three for different kinds of apps. Now that would be handy, right? That if I wanted to set my email to just show me who it's from, or I wanted to set this other app to tell me everything that came up in the notice or in the notification. Uh, what else? Microsoft and Slack's longstanding duel is becoming a three-way showdown amid Zoom's explosive earnings. Now Zoom had a spectacular earnings call this past week. Um, I've said this before, when we come out of this pandemic, whenever that is, however that is, the, the general thought process is that there will still continue to be a great number of work from home folks. So the need for, uh, for uh, that kind of technology and connecting to people is going to be necessary even more than it was before. Is it enough to sustain this kind of performance that they just had in the second quarter? I don't think so. I think all of these services that have benefited from the pandemic and people being stuck at home, working from home, uh, living from all of that, I, I think that's going to taper off that's going to go they'll probably maintain a little bit of that bump but overall i think they lose uh the vast majority of all these great numbers that they're seeing right now it's good for business right now all right it's good for the stock but at some day that's going to crash that's going to crash back down to earth and normality whatever normality is uh it's going to come back down and so you got to be aware of that if you're that type of person that watches stocks invest and things like that it's great right now it's not going to stay that way when people start going back to the office. Uh, Microsoft 365 licensing questions. I thought this was great. Um, licensing is probably one of the most confusing aspects of anything with Microsoft. And so Joanne Klein, who's a SharePoint, uh, she does SharePoint, Microsoft 365, and Azure stuff. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Joanne is a Microsoft MVP in Office. Um, yeah, she's a Office Apps and Services, so she knows her stuff in this area. And so she has a great post there about uh, licensing questions, and she answers a lot of questions there as well. Uh, Surface Duo, a story here from Review Geek saying the Surface Duo is the first phone that basically requires a smartwatch. The reason they say this is because the Duo does not have NFC capabilities. So if you were, it's Android, so if you were to have a smartwatch and you connected it to the Android Surface Duo, you would be able to do payments through the NFC on your smartwatch, which makes some sense. So that, you know, the people who do that kind of stuff probably already has a smartwatch and may not necessarily need that feature on their phone. You get what I'm saying? So so it, the audience for the people that this is going to be an issue for is probably pretty small. But it's an interesting point, a very interesting point. In uh, Microsoft Expressive Pixels is a new platform for creativity, inclusion, and innovation. There's a uh, blog post over at the Windows Experience blog about this, and it's about design. It's about this the 
Expressive Pixels is a platform to be able to author animated visualizations. It's in the Microsoft Store. Uh, it's got a common set of maker firmware source code that enables people with LED display devices to communicate uh, visually using things like emojis and text and things of that nature. So pretty cool little feature there and there's a whole background and story here to cover with that. On the Apple storefront, uh, there is a way apparently to get iPhone software without using the Apple's App Store. I don't think this would be called sideloading per se. Uh, this was published by CNBC of all places. Um, but um, so, so this is part of that whole Fortnite epic kind of battle with the, apps, uh, the App Store. But Apple says that they restrict users to downloading apps from the App Store to preserve the quality. Uh, Apple employees review everything, make sure it's up, free of malware, offensive content, security holes, although that hasn't happened 100% on any platform. Um, but there are other ways to install software on an iPhone. Um, one place, uh, the Chinese technology giant Tencent talks about mini apps inside of its WeChat app. So it's, it's, it's not sideloading like Android sideloading, but it is a way in some apps to add extra features uh, without having to go through the App Store. Amazon has announced Walmart Plus. This is their challenge to Amazon Prime and delivery and things like that. So it's a subscription to get free delivery, a free fast day-to-day -day delivery for goods that you order from from Walmart. Uh, didn't have anything with Google really this week. It's been they've kind of been very low key in the news from my perspective and from what I watch. On the miscellaneous tech front, Samsung Cloud is going to be discontinued next year. Uh, if you were using Samsung Cloud, I mean. Samsung Cloud is kind of like OneDrive or, or iDrive or um, uh, iCloud, but it just probably just did not take up because it was, it was shipped on Samsung phones, but most people who were setting up new phones already had one of the other things. So why would you use another one and have to pay for storage and things of that nature? So it is going to be discontinued next June. Most likely it's all related to usage numbers. Um, on Chrome OS, Wi-Fi Sync and other stuff is coming to Chrome OS, so it'll, it's going to expand its capabilities to be able to connect data and share data and get a hold of stuff in its uh, closeness. So the Wi-Fi Sync will help with passwords on your keychain, uh, save to your Google's account. There's some setting improvements in there. There's a new microphone slider and new video recording improvements that have been made in the camera app on Chrome OS. I'd, what version is this? I don't know if Paul Thorat says what version it is. It doesn't say. I need to really update my Chromebook. It's been so long since I've updated my Chromebook. Uh, what else? Uh, context to trend. So on social media, on Twitter, you know how things trend, sub lines, text trend. There's now when you go to trending subjects, it shares with you the tweet that explains or why things are trending. So it's an easier way to kind of, rather than digging through all the trending tweets themselves. Um, Movies Anywhere has launched their digital movie lending feature called uh, Screen Pass. Movies Anywhere is, a, is a, the ability to kind of have um, a centralized access to your purchased movies across a bunch of services, iTunes, Vudu, Prime Video, X2, YouTube, and Xfinity, and other places. Um, the, it's operated by Disney, Universal, Warner Brothers, Sony Pictures, and 20th Century Fox together. And so now there's basically becoming this screen pass where you can share your movies with other people and other accounts on the service. So that's kind of neat, I think. And it's, it's not like Netflix's, um, you know, their feature where you can watch, you can start a movie together for, in different places and watch together. It's not quite that. Um, so... But it, it, it allows you to share a title with other people uh, that you want to share a title with. 
what else have we got? Oh, in fact, there's Netflix, right? <clears throat> Just talked about Netflix, and Netflix is now offering free access to select original Netflix movies and series without even having an account. It's ad-based, so it's ad-supported, but if you're not on Netflix and you're interested in seeing some of their, their own movies and stuff like that, uh, you go to netflix.com slash watch dash free and you'll get some information about compatibility and how to access that stuff. So if you're looking to see some new things and you don't have Netflix, this might be one way to, to see some new content. Um, what else? Oh, this I this came across my Twitter feed two or three times over the course of the last week, and I had to save this thing. This is like this massive, massive power bank. Uh, and what is it? It weighs 50 pounds. It's the Bluetti EB240 2400-watt-hour, what is it, 10... 1000 watt portable power station so it's it it charges and provides power right um, it can output ac power it can provide 12 volt it can provide ac and it has four usb ports for outputting power to those devices um and if i'm if i'm not mistaken so it's got 2500 recharges it costs 1900 um and but i'm trying to see if it holds power um but it looks like it looks like all it does is it doesn't bank up. Well, no, it has to power bank, right? It's a power station, so it stores up some juice in order to be used later. So, But I'm not paying $1,900 for 2,500 cycles of a charge, right? That's just kind of crazy. Um, that's expensive. Um, all right, let's get rid of this one. We talked about the, the NVMe SSDs last week. They continue to be crazy fast. In the gaming world, designed for Xbox, a whole new line of uh, compatible uh, controllers. Again, we talked about that the out-of-stock status for, for yokes and things like that, but those are included in here. But it, the compatibility is across the spectrum, across all the Xbox devices. So if you go to Xbox Series X, you're not leaving behind what you have on Xbox One X. Um, They've doing some new stuff with Flight Simulator. A patch has been released, so it's fixing some of the initial issues with installation, black screens, and things of that nature. I'm telling you, my experience compared uh, to the past with the new SSDs and the new system and processor, I'm getting much faster loads. Uh, it's a much better experience with the faster SSD. So I have the software, the program itself installed on one of those NVMEs, and then I have the cache installed on a setup on an SSD to help speed the access to the, the rolling cache. Uh, we heard another leak about Xbox Series S Lockhart, but this time it's not on linked devices. It's on actual devices and things for sale that you can go buy on the shelf. They already are talking about the Xbox Series S Lockhart. So if you're not sure, you understand Xbox Series X is the big box, right? That's the new console that's coming out. That's the top end. And then we're going to have an Xbox Series X, which is S, I'm sorry, which is the Lockhart console. That's going to be the little lower powered, uh, little less capability kind of console, not unlike Xbox One X and Xbox One S. Okay, so that's the difference there. But basically, we know it's coming, and we're still waiting to hear from Sony and Microsoft about cost and stuff. These devices are going to start, should start to come under pre-order soon. And they're going to be available in the holiday, which should mean November. In fact, it was, uh, yeah, November is when the past ones have, so we haven't heard price yet. We haven't heard availability yet. So that still needs to come out. Uh, all right, so let's move on into the space stuff. Got a, quite a few links here for you from NASA. Uh, they tested their new booster for the Artemis Space Launch System. They did a test out in Promontory, Utah. If you've never seen that before, they lay the booster on its side. It's mounted down, obviously, and it burns for about two, two and a half minutes, which is how long it will burn in a launch. Because once a solid rocket booster is lit, it's lit. 
it's you're going somewhere, right? It's not like SpaceX that you get one, three, two, one in a burn and then it can stop all of a sudden or Delta Heavy like a couple weeks ago. Um, it burns, you're going, all right? So they tested that. That From all indications, the test went well. Um, they are also, if you're interested, if you've got the right credentials for this, they are looking to class up a new set of flight directors for human spaceflight. These are the folks that control the mission control and all the different desks that help manage both spaceflight as well as the International Space Station. So if you, are, if you have an inkling towards that and you've got the, the, the credentials for it in the background, why not go apply? Uh, I always love these things, five auto innovations driven by NASA because NASA is always working hard to show that money that has been spent has helped people right here on Earth, not just up in space. So the first one is about comfortable car seats, safe car seats, uh, tire sensors, warning of flats. Most of our cars have those automatically. Um, nanotechnology, protecting race car drivers from extreme heat and headaches is NASA technology helps with that. And then self-driving cars navigating the road is also space technology helping with that. So that's just always interesting to know that, that what seems like work that NASA does that is not necessarily immediate results of stuff, um, they actually do contribute over the years to a lot of different things that we take for granted down here on Earth. Um, spacecraft icon. So this is kind of cool. The science mission director at NASA posted a web page with a ton of spacecraft icons. So these are files that you can download and use. And most everything with NASA is, is not open source, but it's public. It's free use license. Uh, that's their images and everything like that. And um, But these spacecraft icons are different kinds of, of spacecraft that are out there. And so if you're doing a game or you need icons that are spacecraft specific or just in general, this is a great resource for you to use that. And then did you know this? This is the last thing for the NASA list. NASA, so Perseverance was launched a couple months ago by United Launch Alliance on its way to Mars. It's going to land there sometime next February, right? So September, October, November, December, about six months from now. Uh, did you know that there is an exact twin to Perseverance here on Earth? And what they do, and they've done this with all their rovers, is they use it to help um, manage the rover that's going to be on Mars. So it's a full-scale engineering version of Mars 2020 Perseverance rover. It has the wheels, the cameras, the power computers on it to help it drive autonomously. And it's in its garage, and they will use this um, to help kind of manage how they work with the rover. I, to give you an example, so do you remember in The Martian, where Mark Watney goes to find uh, the spacecraft that was on Mars, right? And he, he undigs it from the sand, he takes it back, and he gets it fired up. Well, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory had a duplicate of that spacecraft on Earth in storage that they were able to pull out and use to connect and communicate with Mark Watney on Mars. Now, that was a fictional movie, but that's real that they have that second device here on Earth to be able to troubleshoot and to understand in a three-dimensional kind of aspect what's going on up on. They've used the ones for the other rovers to help get unstuck and things like that. So it's a pretty neat thing. So the twin is there to help them manage all that and to help them test things and things of that nature. So I'm just looking to see if it has its own name Optimism, that's what they're calling that one, is optimism. Nearly identical. All right, pretty cool stuff. Uh, on the ULA launch front, the Delta Heavy that's, that 
aborted at launch uh, or just before launch uh, is still they're do, still doing their engineering investigation and so they have not fully sorted that out and so therefore they have not rescheduled that launch uh, and then the other thing I want to mention to you is if you do not follow Tori Bruno on Twitter Tori Bruno is the CEO of United Launch Alliance he is one of the most engaged people on social media in in the rocket industry period uh, he answers people's questions about launches, about rockets, um, to all levels of stuff. And he is truly interactive and easygoing and has a, I mean, he takes his job very seriously, as he should, but he is happy to engage and have a little fun on Twitter, too. So you got to go follow him. i got a link to his Twitter profile here in the show notes. On the SpaceX front, they continue to launch stuff, right? So they had a Starlink launch this last week. Beta testing is already underway. Apparently, they are reporting 100 megabit connections from space, and they're using lasers to transfer data between the Starlink satellites in orbit. Um, pretty amazing stuff there. And then SpaceX also did its first polar orbit mission from Florida. So here's so here's why this was unique. So when they launch Starlink and most other satellites, they launch out and away from the coast of Florida. Uh, going towards, going uh, would be east, right? East or some variation of that, southeast, east or northeast, right? Depends on where they're going. Well, the, the polar orbit requires a very southerly launch because it has to get in a, a polar orbit goes over the caps, right? The, the South Pole and the North Pole, whereas the geosynchronous are around the equator of the, the Earth. So that polar orbit has to go on a southerly route to get to that point. And it was the first time they'd done that from Florida. So that was a pretty big deal. Um, Rocket Lab, we mentioned a few episodes ago, they had a, a halt and had to figure out why their, uh, the spacecraft didn't make it to space. They did their engineering uh, investigation on that and have returned to flight and has successfully done a launch of a satellite for a company called Capella. So Rocket Lab is back on track with doing their launches as well. All right, man, lots going on. Um, in closing, I wanted to link to two things for you here. First one is a story from Lance Ulanoff. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the 25th anniversary of the Microsoft Windows 95 launch. Well, it turns out Lance, who who I got to meet Lance, I forget the first time I met Lance at an event or something like that, but but always very congenial and very kind and, and interactive. Um, and it was it was Mark, it was it was Lance who helped write a story that got the attention about my account being suspended for no good reason on Twitter too. So, but anyway, so Lance was at the Windows 95 launch. 25 years ago, and he writes about his experience in being there. So that's, I just thought that was a cool perspective to add. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to share, and I shared this on Twitter already with some photos, um, there was a SyncX. It's called a SyncX. It's a syncing exercise. So usually when the fleet is all together and they're doing a big exercise, and this one was RIMPAC. It's called RIM of the Pacific. And they, they sometimes get lucky and have a decommissioned ship available for target practice basically. So they are able to fire a variety of ammunition at it, whether it be surface guns, whether it be missiles, whether it be uh, other types of things. And they basically sink the decommissioned ship. The ship has been cleaned up and there's nothing dangerous on it, but it gets sunk as a part a training exercise for those ships and aircraft. All right. Um, well, my last ship, uh, that I served on, directly served on, the USS LaSalle when I was stationed in Guyana, Italy, um, was my was not my final sea tour. I was the department LCPO for the communications department. Well, LaSalle was eventually decommissioned a few years later, and when I was uh, when I was 
at my VS-31, uh, Sea Control Squadron 31, a good buddy of mine, one of my bunkmates, was on the Winston Churchill, USS Winston Churchill, and he participated in a SYNC-X of the ex-USS LaSalle, our old ship. And in fact, one of the videos he showed me was a missile hitting up forward on the on what would be, be the right side of the ship, the starboard side of the ship, port side's on the left. Um, it shows a missile hitting right to where we used to bunk at, where we used to sleep at in Master Chief's birthing. So I just, it was a vivid memory that come back all of a sudden. So I wanted to send that link to you guys and show you. You can check out the video and the pictures and stuff like that. It's kind of a neat thing. And it's a great, great training tool because it allows sailors from all levels, whether it be aircraft or surface, or submarines even launching missiles to be able to train on an actual uh, ship out there in the water. Okay, that's it. That's a wrap. Uh, as we do every week, uh, be kind to each other. Wear your masks, okay? Remember, you're wearing your mask not, not for yourself but for others. So be kind and wear a mask and uh, be kind to each other. I mentioned that story earlier at the top during the faith segment. Uh, can we be a little less disagreeable when we disagree? I don't think that's bad advice at all. So I'm going to close out episode 16 right now. Uh, classes are starting back up. It's been kind of great, except for one week, I think, over the last five or six weeks. We've done an episode every week, and it's my goal to continue to do that. I may have to trim back how much I do in the show just to make it a quicker process to get the show ready, but um, I really want to continue to get you an episode every week, even when I'm fully engaged in class. And if I'm managing my time right, and I lay out my schedule, and believe me, I do this, um, I should be able to pull this off on Sundays for you guys. So I look forward to episode 17 uh, next Sunday and bring you the latest and greatest that's going on in the world of faith, tech, and space. So until then, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care.